Welcome to the 44th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where a devout family was executed on the side of a dirt road. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime. But we must warn you, sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during this podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more the merrier. How you doing this week, Cindy? Oh, I've had better weeks. Really? Yeah, but it's okay. Yeah. I shall survive. Okay. Do you have enough coffee today? No, not really. Yeah, um, your eye, your makeup looks so pretty today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Well, so oh, I have a little bit of a headache. Could be allergy, but otherwise I'm ready to go. You got the Rona? No. <laughs> well, I hope not. I will say that, you know, I have been tested twice. But, you know, who knows? I could have left the testing site and gotten it somewhere. But, no, I, I feel good. Aside from just a tinge of a headache, I'm feeling pretty good. Well, that's good to yeah. know. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, you want to tell everybody about our upcoming 50th episode giveaway? Yes. Yes, yes. All right. So, don't forget about our upcoming 50th episode giveaway. If you're interested in qualifying for an It Wasn't Me goodie bag, this is what you need to do before September 6th, 2020. That's this year. Uh, Number one, give us a five-star rating with a comment. Screenshot it after you've posted it. Two, email that screenshot to us at a truecrimepodcast at gmail.com. That's our email. Include the following in said email. The screenshot of your rating, your shirt size, and your mailing address. Because the rest of it doesn't matter if we don't have your mailing address. (laughs) And four, Listen to the 50th episode, which will air October 2nd, to hear if you're one of the lucky winners. I'm super excited. Me too. I'm super excited. It's, it's been almost a year since we started I this know. journey. And I hope, I hope we've gotten better along the way. For those of you who have you know, stuck with us, we certainly do appreciate that. Yes, we do. we were just novices that liked murder. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So you ready for my... Uh, story this week. I am ready. All right. So um, I'm going to start off by introducing you to a lady named Jennifer Farber Dulos. And she was born September 27th, 1968 in New York City to Gloria Ortenberg, who was an educator, and Hilliard Farber, who was a successful banker and philanthropist. By the way, Jennifer's aunt's name is Elizabeth Claiborne, and yes, she's the founder of the famed fashion company, Liz Claiborne. Oh, nice. I used to love my Liz Claiborne Uh, purse. Oh, man. I still love some Liz shirts. I mean, I still wear some Liz clothes. Um, Actually, uh, Elizabeth Claiborne married her mom's brother, so yeah. Still her aunt. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so we're talking, she attended the best schools in New York. She led a a cultured and vibrant life during all of those years. During her high school years, she really loved growing up in New York City. She wrote about it. She was a writer. Um, She would write about in her blog, visiting like the haunts of the Beatles and other famed people from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. So um, cool. What a cool life. I know. 
she was, I don't, you know, I, of course, I've never met her, but she just really seemed like a genuine down to earth person. And, um, who just hit the parent lottery, who hit the parent lottery (laughs) and enjoyed writing and all the fun things that I like to do, you know, but her life wasn't perfect no matter what. Right. Yeah. Um, she was also quite athletic. She was nationally ranked. Um, she was a nationally ranked junior squash player. Do you know what squash is? I do not. Okay, so I looked it up because I'm curious like that. And it's very similar to racquetball. It's slightly different, but very similar. Okay. So do you know what racquetball is where you like hit the ball against a wall? Yeah, and the then, other person. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's similar to that. Okay. Not not exactly, of course, but very similar. Jennifer was also a gifted scholar. She was gifted and extremely intelligent. She went to Brown University. She graduated in 1989. Yeah, that says a lot right there. I looked that up, too. That's an Ivy League private research university. In Rhode Island. In Rhode Island, yes. My dermatologist went there. Oh. He did his, actually, he, I'm sorry, he did his residency there. But you have to be accepted into that. I mean, you apply and you accept, and that was, and he went there. She, She got her master's degree in writing at the... Uh, at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. I also looked that up. Wow. Also very prestigious. Very. We're talking Oliver Stone and Martin Scorsese went there, as mm-hmm. well as like Lady Gaga, Alec Baldwin, some other, you know, f- mm-hmm. many famous people went there. Yes, JFK Jr. Really? He went, he went to law school there. Mm-hmm. I had never heard of it. NYU? NYU's Tisch oh, okay. School of the Arts. Oh, okay, yeah. I was like, okay. wait, I've NYU? Had, <laughs> I have heard of... <laughs> Of NYU, but okay. just School of the, the Arts. Writing, right, the yes. Okay. After she graduated from um, college, she and her dog moved to Colorado, and she tried her hand at writing. She lived under her pen name, and, you know, they traveled around. They went to California. She was very introverted, but she was down to earth, and people said she had a very subtle, goofy side. Many of her friends described her as genuine, compassionate, and trustworthy. Now, sometime in 2003 or 2004, she got an email from an old Brown University friend, a guy named Fotis Dulos, who had been a very good friend of hers in college. They weren't lovers or anything like that. It was a very platonic relationship. He was dating someone else, but they had a great um, relationship. You know, it was kind of like one of those where, oh, if I wasn't seeing so-and-so, we could possibly work something out. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, their 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 timing just never, just never worked right. out. Yeah. yeah. When he emailed her, you know, it was it was definitely a welcomed email. Nice. Now, Fotis was born on August 6, 1967 in Turkey, but he was raised in Athens, Greece. As a child and teen, he was a competitive water skier. And this is a passion that he kept throughout his life. He moved to the United States in 1986 to attend Brown University, where he graduated in 1988. He later earned an MBA in finance from Columbia Business School. And like I said, he met Jennifer Farber at Brown and they became very good friends. But like I said, they were just friends because he was dating someone else. Mm -hmm. And Athens, Greece, in June 2000, he married that someone else, a a woman named Hillary Vanessa Aldama. She was also a Brown University graduate, but their marriage didn't last long, only four years. And he actually emailed Jennifer before he actually was divorced from Mm -hmm. this girl. It was only a month after his divorce from his first wife that he married the second wife, who was Jennifer Farber. Oh, wow. So within a month of of getting a divorce, he was remarried to Jennifer in August 2004. Wow. Their wedding was at the Metropolitan Club in New York. 
and was, according to one of Jennifer's former classmates, big and grand, and it was old New York, and that's the way Hill, who's Jennifer's late father, was. He had a big, generous personality, and the wedding reflected that. His name was Hill? His name was Hilliard, and he but went by Hill. Hill. That's yeah. very, like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So what am I looking for here? Yeah, Just, it's a very it, it it's a very metropolitan club of New York, yeah. J.P. Morgan. So yeah, yeah, I actually looked up the Metropolitan Club of New York, and it is a very exclusive private social club in Manhattan, and it was founded by J.P. Morgan. You know, he's one of the wealthiest men. Yeah, he was one of the. What do they call those guys that those industrial leaders? Mm-hmm. It's like Kellogg and yeah, they're um. What do they well, call? There's that there's a documentary yes. about that well it's really it's a dramatization but it's the the men who made america yes and it's um rockefeller yes um kellogg no kellogg's not not in there oh he's not Mm-mm. okay no, well he was in that documentary um or was it post okay mm-hmm. it was like the oil the steel yeah. the banker okay. uh-huh. jp morgan uh rockefeller uh-huh. not firestone uh it's an oil company cornelius Okay, I don't know. Cornelius Vanderbilt. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting there. All right. But, yeah, and then, so, and it talks about how, like, came up from the roots and, like, um, yeah. Rockefeller was, like, poor. Right. And then he went off. To, he yes. was just smart. And he went off this, you know, and yeah. they have to get ruthless. It's like, these weren't bad men, but then they, like, they had to fight for what they had. This so they is, became ruthless. Right. This and J.P. Morgan was part look. of it. and capitalism in america right yes so jp morgan opened this club in 1891 and it was established as a private social club for very rich gentlemen Mm -hmm. nowadays you don't have to be a gentleman it's open to women but you still have to be very rich yeah so it is it is quite opulent and it's for like the top one percent one family source said jennifer's family didn't really know what to make of fotis they could tell that she seemed very happy and very excited that this very handsome and charming man, this person that she had known before, so there was um, a bit of trust there, had come into her life. Jennifer had always wanted her own family, and Fotis did too. You know, being from Greece, that's, you know, I'm stereotyping here, which I shouldn't, but they have different... Historically, like, bigger family. Bigger type, family, yeah. yes. Jennifer seemed happy to be with Fotis, even though they were very different intellectually. She was super smart. And um, one of her friends says, you know, it's really not fair to him because she set the bar very high. So she was extremely intelligent. I don't think he was a dummy. He wasn't a dummy. Um, he, he, but was she was brown. Just he She was. I mean, that's she was a, very intellectual. Yeah. I mean, he, he went was, to Brown and Columbia. Yes. I mean, and he was very business minded. And she was more like, you know, and her mom, I did look up her mom. Her mom is, has a lot to do with like the education um, in New York and her parents give scholarships to those oh, nice. at risk students. So they're very much involved Good, in education. Should. Yeah. And it's Carnegie. 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 Yeah, okay. Andrew Carnegie. Thank That's you. That's why I was thinking Firestone because Andrew Fire. I don't even. I don't, I don't know I, why I know that name. Yeah. But but it, yeah. So it's Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, Van Vanderbilt, Carnegie, okay. and at the end is when Ford came in. Okay. But that was like a new. All right. Well, breed. we needed. Lo- I'm going to yeah. be looking up Kellogg and Post later because I know they were a part of that that industrial era but i don't know if they're well, part the kellogg of yeah. brothers then fought one went to they were like yeah. enemies for a while it could be post was, yeah all right so they were different in other ways too not just intellectually she was an introvert she did not like to be the center of attention she was content to live in her husband's shadow he was an extrovert he was showy loud competitive 
She was happy to be at home writing for local publications and her own blog. He wanted to be out. He traveled. He water skied. He liked socializing. Throughout the years, the little family expanded. She had three births. Two of them were sets of twins, and she also had a single birth. So, yeah, they have five kids. Two yeah. sets of twins. Ugh. Now, well, apparently you're, you statistically are at a higher, like, um, not advantage, but... If you've already had one set of twins, it's like a 62% chance mm-hmm. you'd have another set of twins. I'm like, oh, hell no. My mother-in-law had three sets of twins. Holy shit. The, the middle set died oh. um, either at That's birth awful. or before birth. But then, you know, my mother-in-law is a twin, and then she's got another set of twins as, as siblings. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So now the kids right now are between the ages of 9 and 14. Jennifer was a very hands-on mom. She stayed at home with them. She was... You know, she did everything. But, of course, they had a nanny and they had a house cleaning staff. Fotis was a demanding father and he often traveled a lot. Now, his job, his job, his business, he, in 2004, started a business called the Four Group Inc. And basically, it was a luxury home developer. Typically, these homes sold for anywhere between two to five million dollars. Wow. They were mansions, usually from ten thousand to twenty thousand square feet. Holy crap! Yeah, virtually all custom built for clients. So he would start, you know, little neighborhoods with maybe mm-hmm. you know eight houses in them or whatever. And is that a playoff like for like golfing? F O R E. Isn't that like? No, I didn't see anything about golfing. I know that I did see things about water skiing, which is what we talked about. But right. you know, okay. I, I'm thinking perhaps I don't. I don't know. I didn't see anything about or maybe F O R E. Part of his name. I don't know. Oh, yeah. who knows? Who knows? He was most active in the Farmington, New Canaan, Long Island, and in Litchfield County residential real estate area, and those are basically. Like the, where the top 1% lived. Okay. Something um, that when our husbands hit it rich, we'll know all about. Or when we do with our podcast, right? Yeah. All right. In Farmington. So Delos also developed a bit of a profile in the Connecticut home building industry. He won awards for best custom home between 10,000 and 15,000 square feet. Best lower level remodel and best garage. (laughs) (laughs) And court, with this four group, you have to have your, you have to have access to a lot of cash. And luckily, Fotis had a very wealthy father-in-law. I bet he did. Who was an esteemed banker in New York. He was a lender. And so he was able to secure financing for his son-in-law. So this allowed the four group and Fotis Delos to develop luxury homes for the top one percent much easier than other companies because his he had his father-in-law's help he had a bankroll yeah he was also able to cut through red tape because the man knew people in 2012 with a loan from his in-laws a two and a half million 2.5 million dollar loan from jennifer's parents the couple ended up buying one of the mansion one of the luxury homes that he developed at for, at $4 million, they moved into a 15,000-square-foot brick colonial mansion. The house was large enough for everyone to spread out comfortably. His office was in the attic on the top floor, but his business itself was also run out of the mansion. It took up an entire wing. Jennifer had her writing space retreat on the third floor, and the children had their own areas. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I can imagine like a family theater and, mm-hmm. you know, 
playroom, pool tables. Everything uh, you can think of. Right. Sounds like my kind of place. There was also a pond in the development that they used for water skiing, which later became a constant bone of contention between the couple. The three younger children were all active in their own interests, except for the older boys who were forced to take up water skiing like their father. Fotis was hard on the children, pushing them to their limits, particularly when it came to water skiing. Jennifer said he was an abu- he was abusive to one of their twin boys. He would have the children water skiing all day long, not give them a break to the point where they were freezing out on the water. The kids could never prove themselves enough to him, said the friend. Jennifer said the kids hated doing it, but Fotis made them so afraid of him that they said, of course, I will do this for you, daddy. The kids were good at it, though. They won some pretty prestigious competitions. By the time they were six, the two oldest boys were nationally ranked in their age group. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Six? Right? Those poor kids. Right? I mean, water skiing, to me, it, like that's something you do because you enjoy it. Right. I mean, that's... What a psycho. Well, this man is very, very competitive. Right. Apparently. Now, Jennifer, as I said, did write. Um, she had a mom blog type thing. It was mm-hmm. pretty popular. And in a post that she um, put March in March 2012, she wrote, I wish I were a strong person and that confrontation did not both scare me and appall me. In later court documents, Jennifer said her husband was obsessed with water skiing and tried to get their children involved in the sport as well. Fotis reportedly insisted that their children become world-class skiers and would train them for 11 hours a day, which Jennifer considered excessive and dangerous for the children. When one of the children wanted a break from training, Fotis allegedly broke a ski on a rock in a fit of rage. Another child allegedly developed mental health issues from the intense, severe training. I bet. She wrote, we are all terrified to disappear, to disobey my husband. Her husband, of course denied the allegations, claiming that his children had their own choice and he never forced them to ski. Right. There were other warning signs of an unhappy marriage. The house was so large that the couple was able to separate themselves without running into each other. In later years, Jennifer often retreated to her office to write when he was home. He complained that she was too introverted. She preferred silence to his loud, in-your-face personality. She didn't like confrontation of any kind, so she often just gave in to his demands. She also claimed that her husband bought a handgun and she feared that he was capable of what he was capable of doing with it. And I'm going to talk more about this later. Um, But she said that he bought it illegally in Florida. He said, no, that's not true. Um, He he later and I think I talk about this later. So I'm going to skip the handgun part. But, you know, they had some differences over Mm -hmm. things. She was also rather lonely. You know how like, you know. I don't know, but when I was little, it seemed like you know Charlie was carefree, could do whatever he wanted. I always had to like take care of the children. Mm-hmm. You know, you. I feel like you know she was she was lonely and she felt like she was all alone in that with with all those young children. I think she loved that big it, old house, that big old house, and um, you know he he wasn't around a lot, so which I'm going to get to. But Fotis did have a reputation for losing his temper when things didn't go his way. For example. He demonstrated a public history of volatile and sometimes even assaultive behavior. Once he punched a garage attendant at her parents' Fifth Avenue apartment building, and he was no better at controlling his temper with his wife either. The family source said that he would frequently scream at her in long tirades, calling her a terrible person, unpleasant, wrong, bad, a horrible wife. He would just try to tear her down. Then on the heels of such a dressing down, as she dared to appear less than happy and bubbly in public, even in front of a house guest or one of his employees, he would berate her for that as well. Wow. She just couldn't do anything right. She could do nothing right. And there was no 
evidence of physical abuse, but there were there were hints at it. Mm-hmm. A new Canaan architect who was interviewed said that he refused to work with Fotis due to his abrasive nature. He said Fotis was very controlling in business, and he also witnessed that he was controlling in his personal life. The architect said that he once met with Fotis and his wife at their mansion in 2014, and he noticed that Fotis was very controlling with his wife. He said that the dynamic between Fotis and Jennifer was very strange. So the first time he met Jennifer, they were up in his attic office, and Fotis called her and demanded that she come over into the office. And once she came in, he introduced Jennifer and said, oh, she's the one in charge of interiors and selection of the finishes and staging. And then he dismissed her like, you know, okay, you can leave now. Fotis also began living an increasingly independent life. He would be gone sometimes for 10 or more days a month traveling for pleasure and he wouldn't participate when he was home in day-to-day family life. Like he would be on his phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. In 2016 or 2017, Jennifer found out that her husband was having an affair with one of his colleagues. Her father died in January 2017 after a long illness. Six months later, she filed for divorce. In her suit, Jennifer alleged that in April 2017, her husband told her that Michelle Traconis a successful Argentinian businesswoman and her 10-year-old daughter would be moving into the Farmington, Connecticut mansion that he and Jennifer had shared. What? He's right. moving in another woman and her kid? Yeah. He, she wrote, he informed me that our children and I will continue to reside in the marital home every weekend and during the summer because she was supposed to be staying with her mom. Because her dad died. Because her dad died. Right. So he told her that we're all going to be living here. His paramour and her daughter included would be together. I don't think so. (laughs) Right? (laughs) One of Jennifer's friends said Jennifer was horrified at the idea of her kids having to be in a situation where they were cohabitating with Michelle's daughter. She and her children moved into a rental in New Canaan, Connecticut, 70 miles away from the Farmington Mansion. Her mother paid her rent, her attorney's fees, and everything else. And we're going to get to that later. But a close friend of Jennifer said that the mom of five was a nervous wreck after falling for a divorce from Fotis and seeking custody of the children in 2017 because she knew he would be enraged by this. Mm-hmm. Jennifer found a strength that she never knew she had, and this time she did not give in to her husband's demands. When interviewed later, Traconis said Fotis was surprised by Jennifer. He had never seen that side of her. When requesting custody, she wrote that she feared for her children's safety. I believe Fotis Delos to be highly capable and vengeful enough to take the children and disappear. She said her children would only continue to suffer if they were exposed to their father without supervision. Fotis responded that none of the children had Greek passports as of 2017. However, he had applied to get Greek citizenship for each child. Once the divorce was, once the divorce was um, filed, he had scheduled an appointment at the Greek embassy. So it was within the, within the same amount of time or within that same time period. Well, there are, law, there are laws now that if the, those children probably already had regular passports, like United States passports. But they weren't Greek. Yes, they right. weren't Greek passports. Right. But you can't get a passport in the United States without both parents signing like whoever's on the birth certificate well they had passports because they traveled they went to greece quite often yes but they didn't have a greek passport so they weren't they didn't have a passport issued by greece but what would that matter it would matter because if you go into greece you're you're a citizen so then you have other rights once you're there so you could take your children there 
and they're citizens, it's harder for the United States to like get to the get kids back. back. Despite her fears, the or the judge ordered joint custody to each parent. The order barred them from leaving the state with the children without court approval and also prohib- prohibited exposure to romantic partners. So he couldn't have the children with his new lover. She couldn't have a boyfriend and have him around the kids. Trips on private planes and all passports were to be turned over to an attorney. The judge said the children were to attend the New Canaan Country School, so he allowed them to move 70 miles away. In New Canaan, the kids were adjusting well, and Jennifer was still very devoted to them. She was a do-it-all mom, according to interviews. She dropped her kids off at school and picked them up every day. And the former principal of her children's school told reporters that every morning, the five Dulos children would tumble out of their mother's black Chevy Suburban, ready to greet the day. Her kids would come bounding out of the car, ready to learn. The children were very happy. They loved, loved, loved their mother. Jennifer was a school volunteer, a mom blogger, offering up the latest parenting tips, and, of course, the role moms everywhere know quite well, the mom taxi driver. Oh, yeah. Each of her kids, and she had five of them, were involved in various extracurricular activities, including ballet, art, music, Lego clubs, swimming, soccer, tennis, ice skating, hockey, horseback riding, snow skiing, and water skiing. It's a busy, busy mom. Golly, right? I'm tired just thinking about all that. Exactly. I mean, we, it's hard just doing it with just the two, the wrestling right? practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the wrestling things all day, you know, when you have like three different sports or whatnot. We've already yeah. talked about bleach your ass. Yes, we it's have. It's a real thing. <laughs> so it definitely is. In 2018, Jennifer and her kids actually got to pick their own vacation. Usually it was photos who picked the vacation. Mm-hmm. It was always some like over the top affair. Let's go to Colorado. And they would, you know, go snow skiing. It was, it was rarely relaxing. And right. So she took them to her favorite place to go as a child, Fire Island in Long Island, New York. And they just had a wonderful time. She had always loved Fire Island. As I said, she was pleased to share her favorite relaxing vacation spot with her kids. And all the kids were happy. It's like one of the best memories that they all have. They said, um, yeah. But Jennifer, no matter how calm and relaxed she was in front of her kids, the, the bitter divorce was affecting her. I imagine so. It was, it was very contentious. And it was a continuous back and forth. And I'm not saying that she was perfect either because but i think she was doing it more for what was better for her children right he accused her of having mental health issues she accused him of abusing the children in court documents jennifer alleged that fotis had threatened to kidnap their children if she did not agree to his terms and the divorce settlement and an email to her friend she wrote that her estranged husband threatened to kidnap two of their kids to argentina where michelle's ex owns a resort and hide out on the slopes where everyone wears masks every day and are indistinguishable from one another. So she was afraid he was going to kidnap the two older mm-hmm. boys. Dulos also made serious allegations against his wife, saying she was unfit because she was taking medication. She had been treated for mental illness and also had a relative that committed suicide. Oh, no. Right? Uh, I personally have dealt with mental health issues and taken medication. but As I've I, I just feel like, you know, when you are... When you're a mother of five doing all that. And you're divorcing your husband. Yeah. yeah your dad just died. And, Lord. Anybody would have issues and needs, everybody needs medication anyway. I'm so right? convinced. <laughs> well, I know I do. I'll just put that shit in the air. In another filing, Jennifer DeLoe said that her husband was violating the judge's orders by having his girlfriend at the Farmington house when the kids were there. DeLoe wrote in the filing that she wrote in the filing that Fotis DeLoe initially agreed, but then began acting erratically, 
vacillating between telling me our marriage is over and threatening me that he will never allow me to divorce him. In 2018, her mama stepped in and she sued Fotis Delos for unpaid loans. She claimed that he owed the Farber estate $2.5 million loaned to him by his father-in-law. Remember when I said that he, the father-in-law loaned him money yeah. to, for them to move in the house? Fotis is like, uh, no, that was a gift. And he eventually stopped paying the mortgage on the Farmington mansion. Ugh. Now, this mama is smart because what she did was she went to the lender and bought the loan from him. Because she could. She could. That's right. So she made life very difficult for him. You go, girl. In January 2018, Jennifer again requested an emergency order of full custody of her children. In an email to her friend, Jennifer expressed relief after successfully getting a court-appointed guardian involved in the custody battle. She's just like, I need somebody to come in and see that I'm telling the truth. Right. Is that like a guardian it ad is. litem? It is. It's exactly what it is. Okay. A guardian ad litem. Yes. So the, so the judge ruled in her favor in 2018 after the guardian ad litem was tasked to determine what was best for the children. And the guardian ad litem recommended limiting the father's access to the children to super, supervise visits and taped phone calls, which the judge eventually granted. And of course, you know, he's... He's on fire. In addition, the judge ordered that when Delos had his children with him, his girlfriend and her daughter were not to be present. And as I said, he disregarded that order. He had her there. So then um, the judge found out that when he disregarded the terms of the custody agreement, he then limited Delos's access to the children. He says, in view of the close bond among all five children, the court finds it highly likely that all five of the children have been adversely impacted by the breakdown of their parents' marriage. The defendant's relationship with the girlfriend and the pressure that the defendant has placed on them to lie. So wow. the guardian ad litem said, you know, he's making them lie to his mom, uh, and lie to their on mom. Michelle, right? For you know, doing that as well. You know, it's against what the judge says. Whether you agree with it or not, or not, you know that that's what the judge says. Right. Shame on you for being a liar. Right. By 2019, the bitter divorce had been going on for two mo- two years with no end in sight. Gloria Farber, Jennifer's mom was paying all the bills. She was paying her daughter's divorce attorney, Reuben Midler, $69,000 a month to fight photos to lose in the proceedings and in custody matters. I don't even make that in one year. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And that's the thing. So what I'm guessing, and Holy I did, shit, yeah. what was he doing for that? Well, he was making life difficult for Fotis and made sure that Fotis didn't have custody. They, he ha- made sure that the kids couldn't get passports. He, I mean, did yep. he only have, did, was this like a one client kind of guy? It may have been. I mean, it may have been. It could have been, possibly. That's a lot of money. I mean, could you imagine uh-huh. if you had multiple clients paying $70,000 a month? <laughs> now, now, what I'm going to, what I'm guessing, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but it's her dad like just died. So, you know that she has money. She oh, yeah. has money, but... Her mom kept it in the estate so that her husband couldn't, couldn't touch it, it good, right? Good. So her mom paid all of her bills, and they didn't. They lived in a quite affluent area of New Canaan. Actually, I looked up New Canaan, and mm-hmm. it's it's like only the wealthy, like only wealthy people live there. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So, like like I said earlier, this was one of the most contentious, litigious divorces in Connecticut where actually 400 motions were filed between the two. There were only two other cases that had 200 or more motions filed. Wow. In another court document, Jennifer wrote, I am afraid of my husband. He is dangerous and ruthless when he believes that he has been wronged. 
During the course of our marriage, he told me about sickening revenge fantasies and plans to cause physical harm to others who have wronged him. She also wrote that Fotis tried to run her over in his SUV while her children were in the vehicle with him. She said her children witnessed it. Fotis' sister, who, was, who had been visiting from Greece, was also in the car. And she said, ah, that was just a joke. We were all laughing about it afterwards. But uh, um, to me, that's not a joke when your husband acts like he's going to run you over and you're yeah. already scared. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Right. She went on to say that Fotis displayed irrational, unsafe, bullying, threatening, and controlling behavior. I'm afraid for my safety and the physical safety and emotional well-being of our minor children. Guess who lives in New Canaan? Who? Or whatever it's called. Christopher Maloney. Do you know who that is? No. He's he's Sergeant Stabler from uh, Law & Order SVU. Oh. One with the nice arms. He's like... The Stabler. Old, yeah, he was like Olivia yeah. first... Parker. The bald-headed guy. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So he lives in New Canaan. Yes. Yeah. Not too far from New York. In court filings, Fotis, um, oh, Fotis said that everything Jennifer said about him is false. He said that Jennifer is the unfit, unfit parent. And he went on to say that she has mental health issues. She yells at him when other people are over their house. Uh, he also petitioned the court to make his wife pay his legal fees. Oh, what a son of a bitch. <laughs> right? God. Well, Photosolo said that his wife is worth more than he is. In filings, in a filing seeking to have his wife pay his legal expenses, an attorney for Deleuze said that she has an annual net income of $390,000, according to a sealed financial affidavit. Jennifer Deleuze was required to sub submit. The attorney said that's four times Fotis Deleuze's income. He sought $50,000 to offset legal fees, but the judge rejected it. Good. Right? So he was also hiding a lot of money from, from the home. Yeah, so. you know, you know, we all have, have know someone who's had a contentious divorce oh, where, yeah. oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to quit my job so I don't have to pay child support mm -hmm. or alimony. I mean, right. I keep my cash in an envelope, like, hidden in a drawer, but there's, like, $130 in it. I mean, you know, not 130000 Right? Yeah. <laughs> so this bitter divorce was still ongoing two years later. Oh, wow. On May 24, 2019, just a little over a year ago, Jennifer Delos dropped her children off at school at 8 a.m., at 8.05, a neighbor's security camera recorded her returning home and pulling into her garage. The same day, she missed two doctor's appointments that she had scheduled, one for 11 and the other for 1 p.m. in New York City. Now, the children were going to be picked up by the nanny, and then they were all going to meet in Manhattan. At around 7 p.m., she, uh, two of her friends, one of whom was Lauren Almeida, the nanny, reported her missing because... She never got in contact with them, and she never showed up at their meeting place. Oh, no. Family and friends of Jennifer stated that it would be out of character for her to leave her home on her own without telling anyone. Just before she went missing, she told a friend that she was afraid for her life. The nanny, Lauren Almeida, had arrived at the house at 1130 a.m. that day. She told detectives that she was super surprised to see Delosa's Range Rover in the garage because they had talked the day before and Jennifer w had planned to take that to her doctor's appointment instead of the Chevy, Chevy Suburban, which was not in the garage. Interesting. I guess the Range Rover's not, it's, it's small, probably smaller than the Suburban. Yeah, I don't know why you would, uh, maybe it had to do with gas. I mean, who knows? Maybe, yeah. And who knows? When detectives arrived at the house, and they did come rather quickly, you, know, you sure don't mess around and need new Canaan, they yeah. need help, right? 
I say right again. <laughs> when when detectives arrived at the house, they found blood spatter on the floor, the door and a wall in the garage, as well as on the exterior of the Range Rover, which was parked in the garage. Blood was also found in the kitchen, and DNA tests revealed most of the blood to be Jennifer's, apart from blood on the kitchen faucet, which belonged to both her and her husband, Fotis Delos. Police also found other evidence that Jennifer may have been the victim of a serious assault. At around 10.25 a.m. that morning, the neighbor's security camera captured Jennifer's black Chevrolet Suburban leaving her home. Jennifer wasn't driving. A man was. Many believe that man resembled Fotis Delos, and they believe Jennifer's body was in the vehicle along with many other items associated with cleaning up a murder scene. You know, it resembled Fotis, but there's no proof of who it actually was. I do want to point out that a medical examiner looked at the scene and said that there was so much blood that he would rule that as a homicide. When she was missing, Jennifer at 50 was a very slender five foot seven with a soft voice, dark brown eyes and shoulder length brown hair. And really, if you look at her in picture, she reminds me, she kind of resembles Julia Roberts to me. Like she has that beautiful smile. Mm-hmm. Her children were between the ages of eight and 13 years old and they missed their mother terribly. They were very concerned. Oh, I, I imagine mm-hmm. so. People were shocked by her disappearance. Many knew that she would never leave of her own free will. Those who know Jennifer know her to be a devoted mother, an extremely thoughtful, reliable, and organized woman, and attests that she would never, ever disappear when she is responsible for the lives of five loving and energetic children. Jennifer is kind, gentle, intelligent, and funny, and above all, she prioritizes the health and happiness of her children. Even in their old community of Farmington, where her husband still lived, people held her in high esteem. She was a beloved class parent among the school that her children went to, And her family spokesperson, who is a good friend of hers, Carrie Luft, in a public outcry for info stated, we are touched by the outpouring of support from friends and colleagues in Farmington, Avon, and West Hartford. No sign of Jennifer had been found, but police found other interesting GPS details on Fotis' phone. Police looked at surveillance footage of GPS coordinates of Fotis' movement on May 24, 2019, and they scored. Mm. Because, of course, you know, he denies seeing her at all. Or talking to her at all and they took his phone and that was almost well they took his phone without a search and seizure warrant oh. but they just held it they're like we're not going to look into it until we have the okay. the phone but you can't take it out of the building right so that he wouldn't delete right anything. and he refused to speak to them his attorney advised him against answering any questions so they couldn't you know if he knew anything about where she was he didn't even try to say oh i don't know or So the GPS footage on his phone, it showed that he was in the vicinity of Albany Avenue in Hartford, Connecticut, that same evening around 730 p.m. This allowed police to look at surveillance video on on, you know, uh, those cameras that are like the CCTV or CCTV. Is that the ones that are like on telephone poles and stuff? Yeah. Yes. So they were able to. To Close caption find him, yes, they they found video surveillance that captured Fotis Dulos and his girlfriend Michelle Traconis dumping thirty garbage bags in different bins in Hartford, Connecticut. Law enforcement received um, retrieved the trash bags, which contained various pieces of bloody clothing, as well as blood blood stained cleaning items like rags and sponges. The blood the blood belonged to Jennifer Dulos. Fotis' DNA was found on the inside of a glove in one of the trash bags 
and on one of the trash bags. And his girlfriend, Michelle Chirconis' fingerprint, was also found on the top of one of the bags. Blood evidence was also found in Jennifer's garage and in her kitchen, like I said. They also found a pillow. A homeless man actually said, oh, I found this pillow and there was a knife under it, but I traded the knife for crack. So the police were like, well, we can't test the knife if we don't have it. Yeah. So, so there was actually um, a homeless man who actually turned in the pillow, which was her blood. Mm-hmm. And he said under the pillow was, was a knife. knife. So I'm thinking uh-huh. that I didn't, I tried to look up the Albany Avenue, but I don't know what kind of area that is. If that's like, you know, um, uh, a bad area where yeah. you have a lot of homeless and. Well, Hartford, Hartford is, I think, a pretty decent place. I believe. Yeah. So um, when I looked it up, I didn't see, I don't know what area they, I did kind of just quickly look it up and didn't find any information. They did find her Chevrolet Suburban on a side road near a place called, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, please correct me if I'm wrong, Waveney Park in New Canaan, which was only about three miles away from her home. And I did look at Waveney Park. It used to be someone's estate and there's a mansion on it. And if you ever watch All My Children uh, and they show the picture of the mansion, that's the mansion in this nice. park. Okay. Hartford's the capital. That's why I yeah. was like. So I imagine that there's probably, you know, there are probably pockets of uh, impoverished right. drug addict, drug, I, I don't mean, know the word. The capital of our state's like that. Well, the <laughs> capital of many states. And, if, um, and not just capitals, but other cities. Right. So they found her Chevrolet Suburban. And I didn't put this in my slideshow, but... Uh, the car was like left in reverse and it was still running. They were all, I guess they were just waiting for someone to steal it, but no one did. They found it. It was in reverse? Yeah. And I thought that was odd. If it's in reverse, why isn't it moving? Yeah. But maybe, maybe it had, had a curve. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't put it in there because I'm like, what? I can't wrap my mind around that. <laughs> anyway, police searched numerous properties in, around, in and around Farmington near Fotis Delos' home, around Jennifer's home. They searched... Um, bodies of water and they could not find Jennifer. Investigators believe that Fotis arrived to her home by bike. They found tire marks and other evidence that there was a bike involved. They believe that he was lying in wait in her garage waiting for her to return from taking the kids to school. They believe that he killed her in the garage when she returned. The blood evidence indicates a gruesome assault either by blunt force trauma or multiple stabbings. No expense was spared in the search for her. Helicopters circled the area to see if they could see any signs from the air. There were canine units on the ground. There were divers searching local ponds and a reservoir. When checking her phone records, they found that she had not received nor made any calls after May- March 24th. And there was absolutely no activity on any of her banks or her credit cards. Dang. So she disappeared. And they probably, in a town like this, they're not accustomed I am assuming that they're not really accustomed to, you know, murder investigations and that sort of thing. But they are close enough to other cities that are. And you know that they're going to hire, they're going to have top people on this investigation. On June 1st, 2019, about a week after she disappeared, Fotis Delos and Michelle Chirconis were arrested at a hotel in Avon, Connecticut and charged with tampering with evidence and hindering prosecution. Not enough evidence existed at that time to warrant more severe charges. Mm-hmm. So they were arrested for tampering with evidence once they could prove that they that was their fingerprints, that was his blood right. on those bags. Because they have to declare her dead first before they could charge her. Charge, charge him, him with, with murder. murder. Yeah. Right. The Delos 
the Delosa's five children, then between the ages of eight and 13. Now, remember that this was just a year ago. Wow. Um, a year ago in May that she yeah. went missing. Wow. So they're still young. They moved in with Jennifer's mother, Gloria Farber, who at the time was 85 years old. Wow. She lived in a 1,500 square foot apartment in New York. I mean, I'm sure it's like an amazing apartment, but that's small. For For five kids. And a nanny, live in in help. And by the way, they did have armed guard, an armed guard with them all the time. Delos then sued to get the children back. And of course, he was not... He, was, he did not get custody because he had been charged with tampering with evidence. Delos then sued to have access to his children's academic, medical, hospital, and other health records, but he was denied that privilege, too. How about you? Fuck off. Right? <laughs> he was not allowed to see his children after Jennifer's disappearance. Is Actually, the last time he saw them was two days before their mom disappeared, and that was under supervised visitation. His attorneys claimed it was a travesty of justice to keep a loving father from his children, but the judge claimed that he had been charged with obstructing justice and tampering with evidence and the disappearance of their mother. Yeah. He obviously doesn't give a shit about them. Right. Now, he hired uh, attorney Norm Pattis, who is like an eccentric attorney who's very, very good. And, you know, damn it, I didn't, I didn't check to see who else he might have represented. However... Pattis did end up hiring a private detective mm-hmm. or private investigator who actually was also hired by the OJ team. Oh, yeah. of course. Now, Fotis, um, Fotis's attorney, Pattis, had appeared convinced that Jennifer was dead at first. Well, he's an author, too. Pattis is? What did he write? Juries and, like, stuff about, you know, taking back the courts. Oh, okay. Juries and justice. He's a veteran of well over 150 jury trials. Well, evidently, he's a prized he's defense attorney. He's a very high-profile civil rights yeah. advocacy, high-stakes criminal defense, high-conflict with civil and custody attorneys. F. Lee Bailey calls Norm Pattis one of the giants of this profession. Okay. I don't know if So he's one of the best attorneys that you can get when you're high-profile. Yeah. And he did. He is He's. He smeared her name, which I'm going to get to, um, in the media before. In 2019, he was Mensa's keynote speaker. Oh, he, oh, so he's intelligent, too. All right. Yeah, but how dare, I mean. Right. Like, yeah. Guess, but I guess that's what they pay him for, huh? Right. And so Delos and Traconis both pled not guilty to the charge. And in September 2019, they were arrested again for tampering with evidence again. And again, they pleaded not guilty. Delos appeared in court on October 4th to seek a dismissal of the charges against him, and the judge said he would review arguments by the defense and prosecution. In late October, Traconis and her 10-year-old daughter moved out of the $4 million mansion in Farmington, Connecticut. She told reporters that she didn't know what happened to Jennifer, but if something had happened to her, she knew that Fotis could do it. Mm. She said, you know, he, he would have the ability. That's not, that's not out of the question. He wasn't a bad-looking dude. Who Fotis? Yeah. No, he wasn't. He was he was attractive. It always makes it easier when they're ugly. Like, it does, but you know he also has an A type, very competitive personality. Like I don't know, I'm not attracted to men like his that. His eyes look kind of dead. Yes, I mean his attorney was not handsome. No, his attorney has as long, his attorney reminds me a little bit of um, the Christopher Lloyd character in Back to the Future. I was gonna say 
Howard Stern. Okay. Howard Stern <laughs> with you. a ponytail, like with his hair in a ponytail. All right. So police again believe Jennifer DeLose was a victim of a serious physical assault after blood spatter was found in the garage of her new Canaan home. Her husband and his girlfriend were arrested for tampering with evidence because according to their arrest warrants, two people matching their description were seen in Hartford the night she disappeared. They were seen on video dumping bags that contained his wife's blood, according to the warrants. State's attorney Richard Colangelo and Fotis Delosa's DNA said Fotis Delosa's DNA was also found mixed with his wife's blood on the kitchen faucet of her sink. Mm. There's other evidence, and I'm only pulling in just a couple. The other evidence, um, bags of bloodstained clothing and sponges that he dropped into trash cans at businesses in Connecticut, Connecticut. Stains of blood on Jennifer's garage floor, blood spatter in numerous areas of her home, his DNA mixed with hers, obvious attempts to clean up the scene. So they could see that it had been cleaned, but not very well. Also, they found in a storm drain, um, one of the one of the videos captured the driver of the the truck putting something in the storm drain. So they went and they got it, and it were they were altered Connecticut license plates that actually belonged to um, one of his vehicles from 2006. They had security footage of Delos driving his Ford pickup to various locations, dropping trash bags in a different public trash receptacles and security footage of Traconis leaning out of the passenger seat of the Ford pickup and either placing something on the ground or picking up an item. Okay. I remember this story now. I remember. Yes. Okay. No, I don't really remember the story. I remember what happens in the very end. Okay. Don't say anything. I'm not saying it. All right. I do want to point out is I did not allow, I did not put this other evidence in. But one of his employees drove a red Toyota Tacoma or something like that. And Fotis said, look, I'm going to let you use a company vehicle. I need to borrow your truck. Mm. So he borrowed the truck. And when he brought the truck back, it was after um, after Jennifer had been missing. And he told his employee, you need to take out your your uh, truck seats and get rid of them, I'm going to give you my Porsche seats to put in your truck. And the guy's like, well, why would I do that? And they're like, well, <laughs> Jennifer. give me yeah. a Porsche. Exactly. We'll call it even. <laughs> and, he, and well, Foda said, well, you know, my what my estranged wife is missing now. And she actually, there might be a hair in, in your truck because she gave me a hug. So you don't, you know, we don't want any kind of suspicion on us at all. Because the police are going to, you know, I'm the number one suspect. So... That guy went to the police and said, yeah, he just asked me to do this really Good weird thing. Yeah. Now, if Delos thought that his life would be simpler after his wife's disappearance, he was wrong because Mama Bear Farber stepped in with a vengeance. Good for her. And um, she had her attorney, Richard Weinstein, file a motion requesting the court to enter a default against Fotis Delos and his real estate de- development company. Farber filed two civil lawsuits against Fotis Delos, accusing him of not repaying the money that um, her husband had loaned her. And Weinstein requested that Delos allow a forensic auditor to examine the highly suspect books for his business. Fotis contended that the funds were gifts and were not expected to be paid back. Oh, and get this. And I already said this. He called for Farber to post at least a $500,000 bond to protect himself and his company from going under huh. yeah 
how about no? No. I mean, why Why would you no. even have the balls to do that? Yeah. Farber accused Delos of shady business dealings and of hiding money. And when asked who was paying his attorney fees, Delos stated that he didn't know, but most likely it was being paid by someone in Greece. Because mm. he was from wealth in yeah. Greece, right? A judge granted... Um, I already said all that. Hold on. Okay. A judge granted Gloria Farber, like I said, sole custody of the couple's five children. At the time, they lived in that small apartment. Delos's attorneys tried to discredit the grieving grandmother by requesting her mental health records. Now, Farber stated that this was an example of his cruelty because he knew that she had previously been treated for mental health issues years ago, but those issues had been resolved. Gloria Farber said, look, I'll give my mental health records if you do and if you get him psychologically evaluated but she would only do that if he had to do that too mm-hmm. her attorney responded to the media his effort to not only publicly shame mrs farber but in essence shame any person that has appropriately addressed a mental health issue sends a poor message to his children yeah. a judge denied these motions and a guardian ad litem for the children said the children were well cared for and were thriving despite missing their mother tremendously poor babies <sighs> I couldn't imagine. No. But, but not only that, like, they knew what their dad was doing. Yeah. You know, they're, they're frightened to death. In September 2019, and that, we're not even a year yet. Yeah. The state's attorney requested a gag order on the proceedings because Fotis's defense attorney, Norm Pattis, was giving interview after interview, disparaging Jennifer, potentially contaminating the jury pool. So he was saying things about her. All right. The New York Post, one of the one of the news sources that he he interviewed with, reported that Fotis's defense attorney stated that Jennifer wrote a 500 page manuscript years ago that's reminiscent of Gone Girl, a book about a woman who fakes her own death, but leaves behind clues that points to her husband as the killer. So we were just before we started recording mm-hmm. talking about Gone Girl. Yes, I actually started reading it. And then when the husband started having an affair I had to stop. It was it was causing me too much anxiety. Well, so. it really took me a, a while to get through that book. I like I read part of it and then I was like put it down and I read it back. But once I got past like a certain okay, I was like holy fucking shit. Yeah. and it got really good. Excuse my language. It got really good. <laughs> like we care. I know. But, yeah. All right. So he's like, oh yeah, well she's just faking her death. I mean, you're putting this out there, so that's creating doubt, right? The attorney reportedly admitted that he had never actually read Jennifer's manuscript, but he pointed out that she has a pretty florid imagination and motives to use it to hurt Mr. Deleuze. To explain the surveillance footage of Deleuze and Traconis getting rid of trash bags, right? Yes, They're please caught. explain that to me. Oh, well, all those trash bags were dumped on their porch and they saw it was blood and then they realized Jennifer was missing. So I don't want to be caught with these. Somebody's trying to frame me. Okay. I need to get rid of these bags. All right, buddy. Mm-hmm. Pattis further tried to smear Jennifer's reputation when he added that Jennifer was a heroin addict with psychiatric <laughs> issues and had a relationship with a person who would import heroin from Cambodia. Now, did anybody really believe that? No, I don't <laughs> think so. And I never found any evidence at all of that. Now, there was a time that, that she like... left Colorado and he said, he, uh, remember when I told you she moved to Colorado and traveled yeah. out west? All right. So he said that um, at one point, she had ye- lived for years under a false name when she allegedly disappeared from New York and didn't tell anyone. Well, her family's like, no, she was living under a pen name. She was writing it. She was trying yeah. to live her life on her own without that name. Yeah. Right. Um, from our perspective, this is a perfect storm. This is what Pat 
Patter, uh, what is Pattis? Nick uh, Norm Pattis. He said, from our perspective, this is a perfect storm. A mysterious illness we don't know about, a history of substance abuse, and a history of having disappeared. If she were critically ill, thought she was about ready to lose control of her children, disappearing in such a way that made it look as though her husband were the culprit is the best piss off you can give somebody. Wow. He probably really mm-hmm. believes that, too. Well, I don't know if he really believed it or not, but he spread the news. A family friend found Pattis's claims laughable. The friend had read Jennifer's manuscript and it had nothing in common with Gone Girl at all. And yes, according to a family attorney, Jennifer was using a different name for a time, but that's because she was using a pen name to write. The lawyer also said Jennifer has never had a substance abuse problem. The author of Gone Girl, Jillian Flynn, said she is sickened that a lawyer would compare the, dif- the disappearance of Jennifer DeLose to her book, Gone Girl, which tells the story of a wife who fakes her death as a part of a plot to frame her husband. Flynn said, I've seen in recent coverage that Jennifer's husband and his defense attorney have put forward a so-called Gone Girl theory to explain Jennifer's disappearance. It absolutely sickens me that a work of fiction written by me would be used by Fotis Delos's lawyer as a defense and a hypothetical sensationalized motive behind Jennifer's very real and very tragic disappearance. Wow. The judge wasn't too impressed with Pattis either, and he issued a gag order in the case, ordering both sides to refrain from speaking it to the press or anybody else about anything to do with the case. Okay. I really like that lady's books, by the way. Jillian. Just throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I just tried to read that They're one. Dark. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's a. T- Sometimes I read just to um, like ease my mind and my right. anxiety. And if a book causes me anxiety, I just need to yeah, stop. Yeah. But I can research murder. Yeah. And really, the only ones that have given me any anxiety were was uh, were the two where the guys were serial rapists. Rapist. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So in the meantime, the police are closing in. You know, like the media is like, "Where's Jennifer? Where's Jennifer?" The police are doing their they're doing their investigation behind the scenes. They got a call from a guy who was a part owner of a secluded hunt club in rural Connecticut. The caller said that a guy named Kent Mawinney, former owner of the property, called to see if he could look at the property because he was interested in joining the hunt club. Mm-hmm. Mawinney, and I have no idea if I'm saying that right, had come up in the investigation. So investigators were eager to hear what this man had to say. Anyway, the man said that he um, got a call from Mawinney and Mawinney's like, look, can I just get the code there's you know one of those um chain link uh locks across it like a gate and he gave the guy a code and forgot all about it until a few months later when he and some hunting buddies were walking the property and they found what appeared to be a pit covered with two steel grates it was covered with some foliage they moved it all and they picked up the steel grates and they saw a blue tarp and two bags of lime and what looked like a human grave oh no and they're like well nobody's missing the man didn't think anything of it until he found out that Jennifer's name, that Jennifer disappeared because Kent's name had come up in the news. Oh. So law enforcement, this was a couple months after he found this, but uh-huh. law enforcement checked out the property in August 2019. And by that time, the grave had already been filled in and the lime and tarp were missing. Cadaver dogs also detected no signs of human remains. So if they were going to use it for a grave, they didn't. Okay. Now, Mawinney was a good friend of Fotis, and he was one of his former attorneys. I don't know if it was real estate or something like that. But Mawinney was also estranged from his wife. She accused him of spousal rape. His wife went to the police and told authorities that she feared Fotis and Mawinney were working together to kill her. Now, this story is taking a little twist and reminding me of that movie, 
and I'm dating myself here, Throw Mama from the Train. Do you remember that movie? No. Okay, you were probably super young then. <laughs> it had Danny DeVito in there and, I, and maybe Billy Crystal or somebody, but um, in it, Danny DeVito character wants his mom killed and the other guy wants his wife killed. So they decide that they're going to switch. Oh, One yes, will yes, kill yes. the other wife and then the other guy will kill the mom yes. so they would have alibis. Yes, so this is kind of like both these guys wanted their wives gone. Did mm. they conspire to get rid of them? Mm-hmm. What do you Stranger think? Stranger things have happened. Uh-huh. So let me tell you a little bit about Kurt Mawinney. So just before his wife's disappearance, Fotis Delos tried Kent to help. Kent or Kurt? Kent. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Did I say Kurt? Yeah, I think so. You I know. And I think I wrote it a couple times. Kurt, Kent, this Mawinney guy. Yeah. All right. So so they had a plan. Fotis was going to help save Kurt Kent's marriage. Mawinney, like I said, was accused of spousal rape and charged with violating a protective order involving his wife. She told police that he wanted her dead. Mawinney was charged with violating the terms of the protective order because he used Fotis Delos to contact his wife and attempt to arrange a meeting with her. Mawinney's wife told police that she believed Fotis Delos was working with her estranged husband to get rid of her. Fotis Delos meet, briefly met with a woman on May 19th, according to the warrant, and then he contacted her on May 20th and May 21st. This was just three days before his own wife mm-hmm. vanished. She reported that she believed it was suspicious that Delos, Delos had such sudden interest in a relationship with Mawinney. She stated that she felt she was being baited and was uncomfortable with the fact that Delos kept inviting her back to his residence. She suspected, right? He's like, she suspected that Fotis Delos owed Mawinney and she believed Delos was working on behalf of Mawinney to get rid of her. When Fotis met her at a restaurant, he said, look, you should come back to my Farmington mansion where you and your husband, I'll give you a room for you guys to be intimate. You can mend your failing marriage. She's like, dude, there is no way. Gross. Right? In January 2019, soon after divorce documents were filed, Mawinney was charged with sexual assault and a spousal or cohabitating relationship, second degree unlawful restraint and disorderly conduct. In the affidavit, Mawinney's wife accused him of forcing her to have sex in exchange for living at their home rent free. Mm. She also asked the court to issue a restraining order against her husband and she wanted him to be legally removed as a beneficiary of her $750,000 life insurance policy. I bet she did. Whoa. A few months later, the woman called police about a man who showed up at her home with a crowbar and a gas can. The woman, um, she believed that he was hired by her husband to harm her. But um, when the police arrived, the man said, oh, yeah, I know him. He hired me about six years ago to fix the garage door. And that's what I'm here to do. Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, I just had a waiting list. Right. And Mawinney had come up in the course of the investigation because he was one of Fotis' alibis for the morning of May 24. I bet he was. That was the morning that Jennifer went missing. Hmm. Police had interviewed Chacronis three times. And by the third interview, many things had changed. First, she admitted that Fotis was not home that morning and that Mawinney was at their house. So the first interview, it was Fotis and Mawinney were in his office having um, a meeting. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, the police found a copy of a script. It was they had scripted out. Are these fuckers that stinking stupid? They put it in writing. And so when they questioned her, well, why do you have the script about your alibi? She's like, oh, well, so we would, you know, make sure that we covered all our P's and Q's when we were given this. And the police, by the third interview. I take it back. He's not very smart. Right. I take it back. He's not. No, he's just, he's just very competitive and A-type personality. So he can, he can 
that can take him a long way. Yeah. All right. So she she did admit that the, the script was all lie. He wasn't home. However, Mo Winnie was at the house. So that, and also, Fotis left his phone at the house. Mm. So he also got a phone call from one of his childhood friends, Andreas Tutsiaritis, and I have no idea if I'm saying that right. <laughs> Tutsiaritis. It's Greek. So he's a Greek. Um, he's a Greek. He was in Greece when he made the phone call. She answered the phone. And then when the police got phone records, it showed that he was home taking a call from Greece. And he was also having a meeting with Kent Mawinney. So please, it was all a lie. It's all a staged alibi. This, along with a lot of other evidence, was what police and the prosecutors needed to charge photos for the murder of Jennifer Farber Delos. On January 7th, 2020, that was just, what, how many months ago? Eight months ago? Mm Mm-hmm. Fotis Delos was arrested at his home and charged with capital murder, murder and kidnapping in relation to the disappearance of Jennifer. Jennifer's family issued a statement after the arrest. Although we are relieved that the wait for these charges is over for us, there is no sense of closure. Nothing can bring Jennifer back. We miss her every day and will forever mourn her loss. Now, I just want to point out that her body has still never been mm-hmm. found. Her, Delos's former girlfriend, Michelle Traconis, was also arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit murder. And so was Kent Mawinney. He was also arrested. Despite these arrests, like I said, Jennifer has never been found. On January 8th, DeLosa's bond was set at $6 million and he was released the following day. He was due to return to court on February 28th, 2020. By this time, he had moved another woman into the mansion, a businesswoman named Anna Curry, who was very much on his side. She supported him. She spoke about him in public. She believed in him and she stood by him and went to all his court appearances. On the morning of February 28th, they were both set to leave to go to court. And Delos is like, uh, you know, at the last minute, you know what? You go ahead. I need to go. I've got to run an errand. And he decided they needed to take separate cars. On the way to the courthouse, Curry got a call from Delos's attorney asking where his client was. And she's like, oh, we drove separately. He'll be on his way. He's probably almost there. And the lawyer's like, no, his ankle bracelet is showing that he's still at home. When she heard that, she told the attorney to call 911 because she knew something was up. And of course, first responders arrived. They found an unresponsive Fotis Delos in his vehicle in his garage. He had intentionally poisoned himself with carbon monoxide by running a hose from the exhaust pipe of his SUV into the interior of the car while it was parked in the garage. Initially, it was reported by some news outlets that he was dead upon arrival when they arrived, but responders were able to find a faint pulse after giving CPR. They took him by ambulance to Yukon Medical Center in Farmington, Connecticut. And from there, he was airlifted to Jacoby Medical Center in New York to undergo hyperbaric oxygen therapy. His five children visited him at the medical center before he was taken off life support. This was the first time they had seen their father since he was accused of murdering their mother. So he was pronounced dead at Jacoby Medical Center on January 30th, 2020. He was 52 years old. Oh, and he left a suicide note. Even to the end... He said, it wasn't me. Lies. So here's the note. All. If you are reading this, I am no more. I refuse to spend even an hour more in jail for something I had nothing, and that's all caps, to do with. Enough is enough. If it takes my head to end this, so be it. I want it to be known that Michelle Tricotis had nothing to do with Jennifer's disappearance, and neither did Kent Mawinney. I asked the state to let them free of any such accusations. 
I also asked the state to stop harassing my friends, Andreas Tutsiaridis and Anna Curry. They are honorable people. Please let my children know that I love them. I would do anything to be with them, but unfortunately, we all have our limits. The state will not rest until I rot in jail. My attorney can explain what happened with the bags on Albany Avenue. Everything else is a story fabricated by the law enforcement. I want to thank all my family and friends that stood by me the difficult time. Above all, Anna Curry, I am sorry for letting you down and not continuing the fight. Fotis. So, if he didn't have anything to do with her disappearance, how does he know that Michelle and Kent didn't? Right. Lies. Yes. In a statement issued in May 2020, Michelle Chircona said it was a mistake to have trusted Delos. However, she still maintained that she does not know what happened to Jennifer or where she is, where, of her whereabouts. Draconis is out on bail currently. She was scheduled to appear in court on August 6th, just um, a couple weeks ago, to face the charges. But because of COVID, her date has been rescheduled. And Mawinnie is being held in lieu of $2 million bond and is scheduled to appear, appear in um, September on September 3rd. So again, I don't know if, I don't know if that's going to happen because of COVID. There was a documentary um, released on June 1st of this year from Investigation Discovery called Vanished in New Canaan and ID Mystery. I didn't see the documentary, but it's about the disappearance of, um, of Jennifer and it gives you insight into how she and her estranged husband met and a group of witnesses and experts to dissect the events of the case. All right. Nice. I just kind of tripped on this like I do. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, I it's never. interesting. I, Oh, that's so that's it. Yeah. See, and I just remembered I was like, okay, this is the guy who was like his wife was missing and he killed himself and I was like, Oh, okay, I remember after looking at his pictures, I was like, He kinda looks familiar. So Yeah. God, well thank you for telling us about the Delosis. Delosis. <laughs> okay, listeners, don't forget to send us your screenshot of your five-star ratings with a comment to a true crime podcast at gmail.com. We are super excited about our upcoming 50th episode and their giveaways, and we want you to win. Yay! Also, we have a couple of corrections. In this episode, I said my mother-in-law had three sets of twins. No, no, no. Her mom had three sets of twins. Not my husband's mom, but his grandmother. We also had someone reach out to us regarding episode 12, the story of Wendy Andriano and her terminally ill husband. And we didn't go back and re-listen, but we just want to clarify that sh they had two children. One was a boy and the other was a girl. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our business. <laughs> to our success. And our success. <laughs> and our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together to share murder stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it, it wasn't, wasn't me. me.